Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Today we're starting our new series, Sermon on the Mount. Anyone here familiar with the Sermon on the Mount? Just raise your hand. There we go. Yeah, first service, I don't know if anyone raised their hand. I'm like, do you love Jesus? But uh, I'm glad you guys are a little more engaged. Uh, so yeah, so the Sermon on the Mounts, you know how Pastor Justin has these creative titles for his sermons. Uh, I think Watermelon Truth was a good one he had a couple weeks ago. Uh, Jesus wasn't talking to his disciples and like, hey guys, today's message is entitled Sermon on the Mount. He didn't do that. It was put in later, but it's just based on where they were geographically. He was preaching on a mountainside. And so they're like, Sermon on the Mount, super creative. But it's one of the most well-known messages. It's the actually single longest discourse we have from Jesus in the New Testament. And it's jammed packed with all kinds of truths that are, are fantastic for us as followers of Christ to be familiar with. And so there is no way that we'll be able to get through everything in the next few weeks. And so what we're gonna ask you to do is every week in August is read Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter six, and Matthew chapter seven. So three chapters, obviously, if you want to read more than that, knock yourself out. But we want you to be familiar with the Sermon on the Mount so that you have an understanding of what's going on. Um, and if you're like, oh, I have to read my Bible. No, you get to read your Bible, right? See the perspective change? Yeah, it's like, no, you're going to have fun whether you like it or not. So you get to read your Bible. If uh, you have your Bible today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 reading verses 1 through 13. We also have it on our FC app. If you haven't downloaded our app yet, make sure you go ahead and do that. Uh, you're able to follow along and keep up with everything that's going on, all of our events, um, connect groups, everything else. Uh, go ahead and download our app. We also have our sermon notes in there as well. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. There's a lot in there, so let's go ahead and get on with it. One day he saw the crowds gathering and Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. All right, we're gonna stop right there just real quick because we gotta understand something before we continue on who Jesus is talking to. So he's got crowds gathered around him, but he sits down and who sits around him? His disciples, his followers, those that are closest to him are the ones that he's talking to. And we'll see this again in I think verse 11. Um, but I always pictured like a Sermon on the Mount as Jesus in this big like amphitheater, like Billy Graham or, or, or Joel Osteen, you're right, just talking to the masses, but he's talking to those who are following him. And we're gonna come back to this here in a few minutes, but we've gotta understand that first and foremost. So Jesus goes on, he says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. Some translations say righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. And God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Again, he's talking to his followers. He says, be happy about it, be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. It's a pretty well-known section of scripture. If you grew up in church, you're probably somewhat familiar with it. You may not be able to like 
say all the Beatitudes, but you're kind of give a generic, like general idea of the Beatitudes. And if this is totally foreign to you and you've never heard this before, man, I'm glad you're here unpacking it with us for the first time. There is a lot in there and there's no way that we are gonna be able to get through it all today. And so what I'm hoping to do today is as you are reading through the Beatitudes, hopefully this next week and the weeks after, as you're reading through them, you're able to have a different perspective and kind of an appropriate perspective as you are reading through the Beatitudes. And so each one of these Beatitudes starts the same way. God blesses those and then it goes on to fill in the rest. God blesses those, it goes on to fill in the rest. God blesses those and it goes on to fill in the rest. Now, If you're reading this like I have read it so many times, you almost skip over that intro because it's repetitive. Don't, or anyone else, it's like when you're reading like the the so-and-so begat so-and-so and and -and so-and-so begat so-and-so and you're like just checking it off for your yearly Bible plan and you're like, got it, all right. Sometimes we do that with the Beatitudes because they're very repetitive um, and, and they follow a pattern. But we've got to understand this blessing that Jesus is talking about. It's not a superficial thing. It's not a passing thing, that there is some deep spiritual significance. And so um, I would call what this blessing is, is an untouchable joy. It's an untouchable joy. It's not just this sneeze, God bless you. It's an untouchable joy. And how many guys have ever been working and maybe like the week or the month or maybe your entire career, your boss is a jerk, the customers are rude, and the employees get on your nerves? Yes, I see a hand raised before I even finish. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, Has there been times when that's happened, but something's different this month or this week because you know that like at the end of the week, you're leaving on vacation and you're going to be on a beach, right? And so there's like a different perspective. You're like, not today, Satan. You're not going to steal my joy, right? Like I'm, I'm, whatever happens, I'm going to have a positive attitude because on the horizon, there's something to look forward to. And that's like a different dynamic at work, right? You're like, hey, I don't care. Cuss me out all you want. Like, I'm going to be on a beach and I don't have to put up with any of your nonsense, right? And so there's a, like, when there's something on the horizon, there's a different mentality, different attitude you can have. And when we read the word bless or God blesses, we can kind of pass over it because in our mind, we instinctively go somewhere when we hear the word blessing. Some translations use the word happy, which is a great word if we understand the proper context, Because in our English way of thinking, our English vocabulary, when we hear the word happy, a lot of times it's tied to what happens to me, right? So I can wake up in a happy mood, I can get some bad news, and then I'm no longer happy. People say that getting married is the happiest day of their life. Those fools, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I love you, baby, if you're watching. You're my favorite person in the world. Uh, No, but they say it's the happiest day of their life, but then something happens down the road and that happiest day of their life is when they're like, I regret even doing that, right? Our, our idea of happiness is tied to what happens to us. Um, and even our idea of, of blessing, right? When we, we hear the word bless, we can kind of pass over it or miss it because of what we think. I had a, uh, a, a professor, a New Testament professor in college, and he grew up, he was an Orthodox Jew, but, but uh, converted to Christianity. And he had a unique perspective on this. He said, you've got to understand that as you are reading the Beatitudes, that you can't skip over the word blesses because what Jesus is meaning there is an untouchable joy, a deep-rooted, untouchable joy that's not changed by your circumstance. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion, right? So when we read happy, we think, oh, happiness is an emotion. No, but there is a deep-rooted spiritual joy that comes with these blessings. And so he said, it's not a, a characteristic 
or, or sorry, it's not an emotion, it's not a feeling, but it's a characteristic, and it's an attribute. And I want us to look at something in, in 1 Timothy that I find kind of interesting about how God is described. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, this is the back half of a run-on sentence, so it kind of makes, it's kind of weird just to read it, but it says, that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. If you skip over to uh, 1 Timothy 6.15, it says the same thing. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. That word blessed, the markarios in Greek, is the same word that Jesus uses. And so we see that this untouchable joy, this, this deep-rooted happiness, the supreme happiness, it, it's a part of who God is. And this is where it's important to understand who Jesus was talking to as he's saying the Beatitudes, as he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, that he's talking to his followers. Because this blessing, this untouchable joy flows from a connectedness with God. And that it's, it's only available, if it's part of who God is, it's only available to those who are following God. So Jesus isn't saying that, hey, just anyone who's humble or anyone who's persecuted or anyone who's, who's you know, uh, poor, whatever, but it's specifically this blessing, this, this untouchable joy is specifically for the kids, the God's children. Um, you may think that's kind of harsh and, and kind of uh, exclusive. Well, let me put it this way. I've got a key to my dad's house. I know his garage door code. I have access to his stuff. I'm in his will for now, as long as I remain in his good graces. Love you, dad. Uh, I'm able to go raid his refrigerator for the most part. Like, there's, like if, his, if my grandma made him like a coconut cream pie, he'd probably be a little mad if I raided his refrigerator. But I have access to his stuff. I have two sisters. The same applies to them. Now, is that, would it be considered rude for him not to have an open door policy to everyone in the world? Or is that a benefit of me being his child? Do you know what I'm saying? So, so it's like, we have no problem just saying, hey, no, 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 like I, my kids have access to my stuff. But then when we turn it around and say, hey, God's children get to enjoy all the rights, privileges, and blessings of God, and it's something that's not available to those who aren't following Christ, we take a different, take a different attitude and take a different outlook on it. But you have that with your kids. I have that with my son. Right? And if you will, let's, let's kind of unpack this just a little bit more. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. It says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. This verse is telling us that as God's children, we have an inheritance, we have an heir, we, we have all the rights and privileges and blessings that come with being his child. And it's only after he has adopted us, right? Second uh, Peter 1.4 tells us that we get to share in his divine nature. And so let's look at it. We're talking about having untouchable joy that flows from a connectedness with God. Let's look at some other things. The Bible tells us that we love because he first loved us. That we are to forgive others, how? As we have been forgiven. 
right? That we are to be holy. How is that possible? Because he is holy. It's us sharing in this divine nature and being God's children that we're able to do these things. We're able to have these things and these blessings and these promises aren't available to those who aren't following Christ. We have to understand that as we are reading the Beatitudes, we can't just skip over it because there's something that's significant that's tied to these blessings, that there's an untouchable joy that flows from a connectedness with God in these beatitudes so that while you're mourning, you have this untouchable joy because it flows from God, right? While you're being persecuted, you have an untouchable joy because it flows from God and it's only available to his children. So as you read those, you've got to keep these in mind. The beatitudes also present us with this like backwards system, this complicated, kind of this weird, um, foreign, backwards system that we don't understand. Have you guys ever read something that just sounds like complete nonsense? Maybe it was your second grader's essay, and you're like, that's really good, buddy, right? Or maybe it was like a Dr. Seuss book, and you have to read it like five or six times to even try to put together this word stew that he is like cooking up. It's like, I don't know what he was on when he wrote that, but somehow he's like the most celebrated children's author ever, right? You read these things, and you're like, what is happening? And we read the Beatitudes, and if we think of them, like if we honestly take a look at them, they're kind of backwards, right? Because it says God blesses, and then a lot of these things that follow are things that we necessarily wouldn't consider blessings, right? Because when we consider someone being blessed, what do we think? We think, oh, they got a new job, they got a bump in pay, right? God's blessing them. Oh, they've been praying for a child, now they have nine kids, some people may not call that a blessing, but maybe like that's God's like, you're like God's blessing them with children. They're healthy. They're doing well in life. Things are on like an upward trajectory. God's blessing them. And now are those blessings? Absolutely. Before you're like, what? Right? Absolutely. James 1 tells us that every good gift comes from the father above, right? So those absolutely are blessings. However, whenever we see someone that's down on their luck, someone that's an outcast, someone that's struggling, how often do we look at them and we're like, living the blessed life right there. What do we think? We're like, just the consequence of their actions, right? God must be testing their faith. What did they do wrong to be in that situation, right? That's where our mind goes. But, but Jesus kind of throws a, a wrench into this conventional way of thinking because what's he say? He says, God blesses the poor. He blesses the mor- those who mourn. The, he blesses the humble. He blesses those who are, are hungry and thirsty. God blesses those who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who work for peace, who are persecuted. God blesses you when people mock you. It's totally backwards, from what we would consider normal compared to our, our, our common viewpoints. God blesses the poor? No, when I'm well off, that's when I know that God has blessed me. God blesses me when I mourn? No, no, no. If, if, if things aren't going my way and my timing according to my plan, then God isn't in it. God blesses those who are humble? Man, God, how am I supposed to build my, my brand and promote my platform? How am I supposed to get people to buy into my pyramid scheme? Or Sorry, I think they relabel that to multi-level marketing. Um, how am I supposed to, um, sorry, uh, how am I supposed to do all that stuff by being humble, right? God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. No, God, I'm hungry for more stuff. And I guess you can come along for the ride if you want on my pursuit of getting more and more and more. God blesses the pure in heart. How am I supposed to get ahead in life? All my motives and my actions are motivated by pure intentions, right? I'm gonna do what I think is right as long as it benefits me and I'll try to do the right things here and there, but all of my actions, all of my motives, all of it's supposed to be pure? No thanks, man. God blesses the merciful? Nope, not today, right? Someone wrongs me, canceled, right? 
get him fired, never talk to him again. God blesses those who are persecuted. Mm -mm. Man, if I'm not popular, people don't like me. I'm not in God's will. I'm doing something wrong. Do you see what I'm talking about here? Right, this system, this spiritual economy that Jesus is establishing in the Beatitudes, it doesn't line up with our like conventional way of thinking. It's a backward system. But here's the sad truth for a lot of us is that we've been fed a lot of bad theology and we've done so little research and studying on our own that we think that if, if things aren't going as planned, then we either, ha- we either haven't prayed enough, we don't have enough faith, or right, God's not in it, we're out of God's will. Can I tell you, you're not that powerful to be out of God's will, right? God's gonna do what God's gonna do. I want you to read 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29 with me. It says this. Let me get there. It says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those that are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God uses things that are foolish to shame those things that are wise. He uses things that make no sense at all to establish his kingdom. He, he, he used a baby boy born in a barn, raised as a carpenter, followed by outcast, and killed as a criminal to establish his kingdom. That makes no sense. What kind of leader is that? He used a Pharisee hell-bent on executing Christians to write most of the New Testament and, and plant churches all over Europe and Asia. It makes no sense. And we've got to start understanding something that, that we've got to understand that God doesn't exist for us. Right? So many times we think, oh, my, my, plans aren't, what, my plans aren't working how I want it. My dreams aren't coming true. What's going on? God, where are you in this? Let me tell you guys something. We are his creation and he is our creator. And that before we ever were, God was. And and God doesn't exist for us. No, no, no. The Bible is very clear that we exist for God and to glorify him in all that we do. And so we've got to understand that while it doesn't make sense, it's the backward system that God has established so that no one can boast and brag about what we've Done. We're to glorify him in our poverty and our wealth. We're to glorify him in our mourning, our celebration. We're to glorify him in our pursuit of him. We're to glorify him in a persecution. We're to glorify him in our dealings with one another. We're to glorify him in our thoughts and our words and our actions. And every part of our life as a follower of Christ is called to glorify him. And it doesn't always make sense, but God doesn't operate in these formulas. Well, if I do this and this and this, I get this. God doesn't operate in these formulas that we've created. And the Bible tells us that his thoughts are way above our thoughts and his ways are way above our ways and his plans are not our plans, but every step of the way, guess what? Even when it doesn't make sense, there's an untouchable joy that flows from connectedness with him as we're following him and as we're pursuing him. Can I tell you that these beatitudes, and I've said it several times, they work out of a backward system but there's an untouchable joy that flows from being connected with God. But each and every one of these beatitudes is a reflection of and pointing us in the direction towards Christ. And these beatitudes kind of parallel the fruit of the Spirit a little bit. There's nine fruit of the Spirit. There's nine beatitudes. A lot of times we read them and we kind of just glaze over them. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I kind of identify with one of the fruit of the Spirit. Right? I, I try to pick one, like, oh, I just need more patience, or I just need more self-control, or I just need more love, or whatever. The truth is, 
Once we've been a new creation, once God has transformed our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, right, all of those fruit are evident in our life. Some of them just need to ripen up a little bit more. Aubrey and I went to Walmarts a few days ago and bought a bunch of avocados. Some of them are ready to go. Some of them need some time. They need to develop. They need to ripen up a little bit. And some of you guys, some of, some of patience in your life, some kindness in your life, it's there, but you just need to lean and say, God, just, just ripen that up in my life a little bit so I can be what you have called me to be. And as we're reading through these Beatitudes, a lot of times I'll read through it and I resonate with the one that says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Now I resonate with it because I know the links that I will go to to satisfy my hunger. Several years ago, Aubrey and I, uh, we were living in Oklahoma City. She was working a night shift, and I was at home just watching a movie. It was close to midnight. It was back when I was young, and I didn't need a whole lot of sleep. And I'm watching this movie, and I have what I would call like an aggressive sweet tooth. And it was like coming on strong. And I'm like, no, no, just go to bed, just go to bed. And finally, I gave in. So I go, and I'm like looking through our pantry, and I can't find anything that is going to work and to satisfy this craving. So I get dressed, I get in my truck, I drive like three miles um, to the buy for less, and I go buy a, a like family bag of peanut M&Ms and Keebler Elf cookies, and I go home, I finish my movie, and I gorge myself, and I make myself sick, right? Like, I, like, I gave in. I needed self-control more than I needed like hunger and thirst in that moment. Right? I gave in to that sweet tooth. But, I, but when I read God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I understand what it means to be hungry. And I'm like, okay, like if I seek after righteousness, like I do like peanut M&Ms, then I'll be good. But the truth is each one of these beatitudes should be evidence as a follower of Christ. And so real quick, we're gonna go through these, all nine of these, and so if you're taking notes, like get your speed riding uh, gear ready to go because we're just gonna blast through these real quick. Um, so when Jesus says God blesses the poor, he's not necessarily talking about wealth. However, wealth can be tied to this. So he says God blesses those who are poor and recognize their need for him, right? And so a lot of times our wealth kind of lessens our dependence on God. And so he's not necessarily talking about poverty, but more so a spiritual poverty that we realize that in light of God's perfection, Whatever virtue or goodness we think we have, we realize we're totally bankrupt. The only thing we can cling to is what Jesus has earned for us. And so he says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. It's a total dependence on him. He says, God blesses those who mourn. Now, when we mourn, we have the Holy Spirit as our comforter. The Bible tells us in Psalms that God is near to the brokenhearted. He's near to those whose spirits are crushed. So when we are mourning, when we are grieving, absolutely there is comfort in knowing Christ. However, there should also be a mourning over sin. The Bible calls this godly sorrow that leads to repentance, right? That we realize that when we sin, when we fall, it's not like a, ah, oh, it's all good. I'll fix it tomorrow. I'll be good, right? But it's God that I am sorry that I, what I, for what I have done. God, forgive me and change me that we are, that we are mourning over um, our sin. The Bible tells us that, uh, that we should live humble lives, we have nothing to brag about, right? As followers of Christ, we, we'll say, man, praise God for the things I have. But then, like, it's kind of what I did, right? Like, God, thanks for that new bow. I worked really hard for it, though, right? Like, we, we say all the right things, but our heart really isn't in the right place. And so we live these humble lives knowing that it's all, for, it's all what Christ did for us. And even our salvation, I think Jonathan Edwards said, um, I have nothing to contribute to my own salvation except the sin that made it necessary. 
right? We don't have anything to brag about even when it comes to our relationship with Christ because we have nothing to offer. If it's God plus me, then it, it, it's tainted. It's God alone. And so we have nothing to brag about. We live, these, we live these humble lives. The Bible tells us that we should seek righteousness. Romans tells us that no one is good. No one is righteous. No one is seeking God. But then it tells us that we're in right standing in front of God. Why? Because of what Jesus did. So a hunger and thirst for righteousness is a pursuit of Christ and saying, hey, I, I need, I, I, I want that standing. I want that right standing before God. So it's a pursuit of Christ. The Bible tells us that we extend mercy. Why? Because mercy was first extended to us. When God withheld the punishment, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God withheld our punishment. He extended mercy. Matthew chapter 18 in the parable of the unforgiving debtor, Jesus tells us what happens if we do not forgive others. James chapter two tells us that when it comes to mercy, what we give out is what we're going to get in return. All right, and so God blesses those who, are, who show mercy because they will be shown mercy. Um, we work for peace. Christ has given us peace with God, and so we're called to live at peace with one another. Um, we're called to be pure and holy, right? Our, our motives, our thoughts, our actions, right? We're called to be holy, set apart. It's part of it. Each one of these reflecting and pointing us in the direction of God. Jesus tells us time and time again in the New Testament, and Paul repeats it in his, his letters, that, hey, you shouldn't be surprised when you start acting more and more like Christ if you're treated more and more like him. If you're persecuted for following me, why are we surprised at all when that happens? I don't understand why they're treating me this way. They, they killed Jesus. They executed a lot of the disciples. And we think like we should get like a hall pass if we are truly following him. And people are like, what are you doing, bro? Like, why are you living that way? No, get out of here. We think we're doing something wrong. God blesses those who are persecuted. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. And we're called to be like Christ. Christians means Christ-like. That's what we're called to be like. We're going to end with, with this scripture, Philippians chapter 2. It says this, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. We could stop right there. But it goes on to unpack that a little bit. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. For the longest time, I would read the Beatitudes, and I would get to that section, the Beatitudes. Now, don't lie to me. You had no idea what beatitude means. Beatitude's a Latin word for blessing. If you were like me, you probably thought the beatitudes was like this weird mix-up of words that meant like be these attitudes. Yeah, you're like, oh, I get it now, right? I can see where that comes from. Yeah. Stop laughing. You're not better than me. You thought the same thing. <laughs> um, but it means blessing. But here's the deal. And, and kind of the weird thing, we're called to have the attitude of Christ. And each one of these Beatitudes is a reflection of and a direction towards Christ. And so as, as incorrect as it might be, it's not an incorrect position to take when if we look at him and we say, be these attitudes. Be these attitudes. What are these attitudes? 
God blesses the poor. God blesses those who mourn. God blesses those who are humble. God blesses those who hunger and thirst. God blesses those who work for peace. God blesses those who are merciful. God blesses those when people persecute you. Man, be these attitudes. Why? Because if they reflect and direct us to Christ, then what better guide to follow than these beatitudes that are right here in front of us? Because even though they don't make any sense, we understand that there is an untouchable joy that comes with them as we are connected to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. God, and we thank you, God, that you have called us to have the mind and the attitude of Christ. God, and we can't do it on our own. It's impossible. God, but we know that when we're connected to you, there is a supernatural strength, determination, an attitude that comes along with it. And so, God, I pray that we would stay connected to you. God, that we would live and move and have our being in you. God, and as a result, the world may look at us and persecute us and mock us, but we know that we are being blessed. We are being called your children. God, that as we become more and more like Christ, we're going to be treated like him. So God, give us the strength to keep going. God, give us the heart to work for peace with those who are persecuting us. God, let us keep you in the center of it all. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I said earlier that being God's children comes with rights and privileges and blessings that aren't given to those who aren't God's children. And if you're in here this morning, you know you're not where you're supposed to be. It's not because you just had some awakenings because John 6, Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And if you know your life isn't where it's supposed to be, the Holy Spirit's been working on you. And today our response is to simply believe. And so if you're in this room and you know, man, I, I need to get things right. I'm gonna to count to three, and if that's you, just simply raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I, need, I need Jesus. One, two, three. Is there anyone here say that's me? Just simply raise your hand. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I see your hand. Yep, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Anyone wanna join these three individuals that have raised their hands? Father, we, we come before you today. God, and you see these people that have raised their hands. God, and you are working in their life. God, you are moving in them. God, you are transforming them. God, and today you're adopting them into your family. God, the Bible tells us that if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. So we're thanking you in advance for the lives that are being changed and transformed. God, for the past that has been forgiven and the wonderful future that you have ahead of them. God, let them cling to you. Let them run after you and chase after you each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, can we celebrate the life change that happened this morning? Man, what an awesome, awesome day. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv. Oh,